Really excited to be here on this beautiful uh, Sunday morning. Um, so we're going to read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, and then verses 23 and 24. And this is our last Sunday in the 1 Thessalonians series. Um, so it's been a sweet time in this little book, um, and I'm excited to take us home um, on this Sunday. So go ahead and open that up, and I'm going to start reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Amen. Therefore, verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you were doing. Verse 23, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Amen. Have a seat. Oh, Lord, as we, uh, as we, come, as we come to your word, um, thank you for that. I, I, could, I could just read that. I don't, I don't even need to preach when we have... Uh, such encouraging words from the Lord, but thank you that you have called us to examine your word now. You've called me to study it and to uh, bring out the, the full truth of your gospel that's present in these words. We thank you that you say your word is living and it's active and it's sharp. It's sharp even to get to those dark places, uh, those places that sometimes feel like no light can touch. Lord, your word is sharp enough to get there and to bring out um, from our hearts what we need and to bring into our hearts what we need. So Lord, we trust you to do that this morning. We look to you to do that. Well, without you, Lord, where is our hope? So we believe, Lord. Help our unbelief even now. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. All right. Um, good to be with you guys this morning. My name is Jonathan Nash. Uh, my wife and I watched, how many of you guys have seen Midnight Sky? It's a, it came out on Netflix. It's got, you probably saw it, it's George Clooney with like a big white beard. Anyone see that movie? Okay, we got one person, just like last, one or two, or th- okay, a couple of people saw it. It's fine. Like, it's a fine movie. It's good. It's not incredible, but it's good. Here's the thing about it, though. Um, it's, it's completely unremarkable in, in one particular way. Like, totally unremarkable in this way. It's the fact that it's about the end of the world. And I say it's unremarkable not because the end of the world is unremarkable, but because so many movies have been made 
about the end of the world. I mean, think about the number of apocalyptic or post-apocalyptic movies. There's so many. There's ones that you don't even think of that are apocalyptic, right? The Matrix. We've got Armageddon, Independence Day, uh, Midnight Sky. We can now add to that list uh, for all three of you that have seen it. Um, But it seems like we're infatuated with apocalypse. And why is that? Have you ever thought about that? Like, why is it that we seem to be so infatuated with apocalypse? In religion, every single religion of the world, of, of any point in human history, has had some teaching, some theology, some understanding of the end, right? Whatever the end is going to be, every religion includes it. In our, in our popular culture, and in our art, and in our entertainment, we, we create stories about it. We draw, we create art about it. We creatively describe it and we depict it. Why? What's, what's, what is it about that that is so intriguing to us? And even in science, we've, it, we've come to know now in modern science that there is going to be an end. Like the clock is ticking on this world. Uh, the sun is not going to last forever. We know that suns, that stars come and they go. And it, even if it's a million years from now, science can tell us that this world is not going to remain the same. So why are we so infatuated with apocalypse? Well, I think it's this. I think it's, it's we want to know. We want to know the truth about things, right? Like we, we want to have revealed to us what's true and what's real. We're hungry for knowledge, for awareness of the reality of things. And I think behind all that is this really basic question that, that I'm gonna argue every single one of you is coming with this morning. You might not know you're coming with it. You might not have thought about it when you woke up. But every single one of us human beings is asking this question all the time. And it's, is this going to be okay? Are are things going to be okay? Am I going to be okay? And we ask that in very small ways and in really big ways. And we live with that running through our heads. And so there's there's this thread in human nature that calls us to think about the end with that question in mind. Is is it going to be okay? We need clarity, we need encouragement. And we want security, right? I want to know that the answer is yes, things are gonna be okay because I wanna know, do I have security right now? Do I have security in my life? Do I have security for my family? Do I have security for my friends, the people that I love? And this church in Thessalonica was exactly the same way. They wanted to know the answers to these questions. They wanted to know the things that they had questions about, the things that, that, that they were pondering in their minds that kept them up at night. Um, several years ago, my wife and I purchased our first house. And it was when we were moving into the Napier community in South Nashville, which is where um, DeCarlos and I uh, both do ministry and are church planting. And this is, you know, four or five years ago. Um, we had just bought the house. I had literally signed on the house the day before. And one of the things they tell you to do when you first buy a house, especially if it used to be a rental, is you come in and you change all the locks. Okay, anyone know this, right? If you don't know, do that. Next time you buy a house, change all the locks. Or maybe you need to do other things because the next day I came back to the house and I was bringing a, a friend of mine with me. He, uh, his wife is an interior, direct, uh, interior decorator. And he and I were meeting at the house and then our wives were about to, about to get there right behind us. And we walk up to the house, this house that I just purchased, that I just closed on. We hadn't moved anything in, but I had changed all the locks. And I noticed something. All the lights were off in the house. And you might be thinking, well, yeah, that's probably what they should be. Except no, that's not what it should have been because I kept all the lights on the day before. 
I left the house with all the lights on, just, you know, letting everyone know, okay, the house is, you know, it's now, it had been empty for a while, letting people know there's someone living in it now, except now all the lights were off. So I'm, you know, pretty excited that I have a, a friend with me, and so we decide, well, okay, well, here we go, we're gonna walk in. So I opened the front door, it was locked, okay, so that's good sign number one, and we walk into my dark house, and almost immediately, I see two figures walk out of the hallway at the very back of the house, but what I can see really clearly, walk out of what is our master bedroom. And what proceeded to happen over the next hour and a half or so was we began to try to figure out what in the world is going on. Why are there two people in my house? This is a true story. It was dark. Uh, I couldn't see very well. Everything about it, like physically and also emotionally in my mind, everything about this was, uh, was unclear. Like what's going on here? Well, we ended up coming to find out this, this, this whole story unfolded. It actually ended up taking about a month to figure out all the parts of this story. And I'm not gonna tell you all the details of the story. I can tell you sometime if you wanna know. Um, but what be- began to unfold is us gaining some clarity about the situation. Um, these two folks uh, were homeless. Um, th- one of them had been in the shower. He was soaking wet when he came out. Um, and uh, they had made it into the house because a prior owner had broken back in to get some items that he had stored there and left. Um, And this whole thing unfolded, on the one hand, heartbreaking. It was a reminder of just the basic, like un, uh, uh, the the most common kind of situation in that community, which is homelessness. Um, Folks that are, are going to links that I would, I don't know everyone's story in here, but would assume none of us have ever had to go to to have something so basic like a shower. And they were in my house. Uh, th- there was, un- there was um, shadowiness and, and lack of clarity for me to even know how to handle the situation. Um, and then certainly just all the trying to figure out what's going on. So in all ways, point of the story, in all ways were things unclear to me. And I wanted to know the answers. I wanted things to become clear. And for this church in Thessalonica, this, this sweet little Thessalonian church that Paul had just been ministering to and had been forced to flee from, like in the middle of him training them in what it means to be disciples of Jesus, this little church is asking some of those same questions. Help me understand what is going on with my life. Help me believe that it is gonna all be okay. And so they ask this, are things gonna be okay kind of question, kind of in two ways. They, they wanna know, um, what's going to happen when I die? And, and specifically, what's happening with people that have already died, my loved ones? And that's what we studied last week. If you haven't heard Elliot's sermon from last week, it's kind of part one to this, so, so go back and listen to it. But then this week, in our passage that we just read, the questions they're asking, um, we, we infer from what Paul says to them. And it seems like the question they're asking is, what's going to happen at the end? Like what's gonna happen in this day of the Lord? When the Lord comes back and everything changes, right? We said in all human history, people have understood that there's gonna come a time when things are not gonna be the way they are right now. They wanna know what, what's gonna happen. So they want clarity because remember, they want security. And I think you and I want that too, especially over this last 14 months. You've seen the shirts you know, that say, uh, whatever, you know, 2021, I'd like my money back, right? It hasn't gotten much more clear uh, socially, um, you know, in every way. Uh, We are still dealing with things that are not difficult to live with, they're impossible. 
to live with. They're impossible to understand. So we're going to unpack that. This, this story in scripture, this passage gives us three things. Paul gives this Thessalonian church and gives you and me three things to help us make it through this season of life in the face of hardship and confusion. So the three things he gives them, number one, he gives them clarity. Number two, he gives them correction. And number three, he gives them courage. Okay, so we're going to look at those three things, clarity, correction, and courage. So we get clarity, and and Paul gives this church clarity in the first three verses of our passage. So come back to me to to verse 1 of chapter 5. He says, now brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. Now I'm putting times and dates in quotation marks because scholars believe in the way that this was written that Paul is like quoting a question they asked to them. And it's probably a question that everybody was asking at that time. It's like the times and dates question. And specifically what they mean are the times and dates of this day of the Lord, the end of the world. Um, And Paul is coming to give them clarity, but he does that by saying, number one, you actually don't need me to give you any more clarity about that. So they're asking for clarity, and his clarity to them is that you already got it, at least in ways that that you need to know you have it. You already have some clarity. You already know the things you need to know. And then he proceeds to tell them, you know, that that the the day of the Lord for some people will come like a thief in the night. So Paul is assuming this Thessalonian church already knows a few things. So I'm going to make sure we know the things that they already knew. So what did, this is kind of the question, what did the early church already understand? What was already clearly taught in the Old Testament and New Testament scriptures about the end of the world or the day of the Lord? So I'm going to give you all a little clarity here, okay? Um, all of human history, right, if we're looking at it on a timeline, has a beginning and an ending. The Bible teaches that. There's a beginning, there's creation, and there's an end to this world. To time, space, history, there's a beginning and there's an end. So those are two points that we know. So we've got creation, And then we've got, I'll just use the the phrase or the term in the passage. I'm going to put it down here because we'll need to write up there in a second. Day of the Lord. So there's creation and then there's the day of the Lord or the end times. Although that brings up a whole other set of connotations that we won't be getting into too much. But we got the beginning and the end. Well, we also know a couple other dates or a couple other markers of time. We know that there was a fall. There was a point in history, the Bible teaches there was a point in history where everything that's wrong with the world right now, everything that's wrong, physical, spiritual, emotional, relational, social, everything that's wrong with the world right now, everything that's not right with the world right now happened or begun to happen at this point in history called the fall. It's why I believe Christianity is the only religion that can truly explain why things are the way they are. It's the only religion that really, truly takes into account and can, can account for the kind of brokenness that we deal with in our world. And it begun at the fall. So that's the third point. So we've got, we've got three points now. All three of these points would have been points in history that this particular church and every Jew and anyone that was familiar with Christian or Jewish religion would have already known. They already knew that there were these three things. The new one the new point in history that no one expected, the Jews um, or anyone else, is the point in history that Paul has been teaching them this whole time he was with them and then continuing to teach them in this book of 1 Thessalonians, and that's this point, the cross. 
The Jews knew that, that before the day of the Lord was, was coming, there was someone else coming. There was the Messiah. There was going to be some form of, of kind of transformation in the world, but they didn't really understand it. Paul has been at this church. The reason he's traveling around preaching and teaching is to teach the gospel. The gospel was the point in history that no one expected. The cross, the death of Jesus, the beginning of making all of this wrong right again. That's the new point. So we got four points in history that everyone would have understood and, and, and believed that the Bible teaches are in our history. We got creation, fall, we got the cross, and then we got the day of the Lord. All right, clears up all the questions, right? Easy. But in a sense, this is the clarity that Paul's giving them. He's reminding them about the times and the dates. In other words, about, wait, when is this actually going to happen? Like, what's going to happen first? Like, what am I going to see to know that this day of the Lord is happening? He says, you don't need to know that. He doesn't know that. We don't know exactly when the day of the Lord is going to come. But he does tell them a few things. And so some things he gives them to add clarity to the day of the Lord is number one, he tells them that it is inevitable. It's why he uses, you might have been confused on why is he talking about labor pains in a pregnant woman? Seems like a kind of a strange analogy. Um, my wife, has, we have five kids, um, so I got to get this right. I have not experienced having five kids, but I have experienced my own experience of my wife having an experience of having five kids. Does that work? All the, all the moms are like, okay, I think I know what you're trying to say. I'm trying to get it right. I have my experience of my wife's experience of having five kids. So it gives me a little bit of expertise. I will tell you this, when the labor pains begin to happen, something's inevitable. You get the analogy now? Paul is saying the day of the Lord, it's like when a woman goes into labor in the sense of when you know it's coming, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. There's gonna be something that, that everyone knows, you know, the, the, the sound of the trumpet or whatever it is, and, and the day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord is inevitable. So that's that, that's that analogy. Um, and then, like I said, he, he, does, he tells you that the exact date and time, or the, the, another translation translates it, the times and the seasons, we, don't, we, won't, we aren't going to know. So um, I know there's all kinds of really interesting reading and books that are extra biblical that try to explain, well, this is how you're going to know. This is the signs to look for. The Bible is pretty clear, and I think this passage is pretty clear, that you don't need to know that, and there's actually really no clarity in Scripture for giving you that, for like precision and precise times and dates. What we do know, and this is maybe the most important thing of all, and this is kind of what then leads Paul into the whole rest of this passage. What we do know is that this day of the Lord will be a moment of complete and total clarity. That all kinds of things that were unclear, all kinds of things that were shadowy, all kinds of things that were unknown are going to be made clear on this day of the Lord. A couple scripture passages to back that up. Jesus himself in Luke chapter 12, talking to his disciples, he says, there is nothing concealed that on that day will not be disclosed. There's nothing hidden that will not be made known. In other words, there's nothing that right now looks concealed, looks hidden, looks misunderstood. There's nothing that on that day is not going to be made known. All things will be made clear. All things will be unhidden. The word apocalypse itself, when we hear about an apocalypse, right, the end of the world, the word apocalypse in Greek means a revealing. 
or an uncovering. It's like a picture of a table set with a bunch of items and a, and a, and a sheet is over it and then like, woof, you pull it away. That's what that word means, a, a revealing and an uncovering. So the day of the Lord will be a moment of complete and total clarity. 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. He will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. And so what is very clear in this passage, the, the, the thing that is made most clear in this passage is that there are two groups of people that are gonna experience the day of the Lord. Every single person, everyone alive, and Paul would argue everyone who's fallen asleep, everyone who has already died, are gonna fall into one of two categories. And so these categories are what we see in this passage when Paul has all this discussion of darkness and light, day or night and day, uh, asleep and awake, or drunk and sober. Every single one of those analogies, he's just flooding analogy, metaphor into this passage. Every single one of them creates two categories. And those are the categories of those who belong to the darkness and those who belong to the light. Verse four, you brothers and sisters are not in the darkness. Verse five, you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So notice the language of belonging. He says, we don't belong to the night, we belong to the day. So he's speaking about identity. He's saying there are those who belong to the darkness. In other words, they do not belong to, to Christ. Because what is Jesus? John 1 says, in him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. So when you belong to the day, when you belong to the light, that means you belong to Jesus. When you do not belong to the day, right? When you belong to the night, or you belong to the darkness, or you're in the dark, means you do not belong to Jesus. So there are two groups of people. And I think in some level, we immediately kind of react against this today because we react against the idea of judgment. And ultimately, the day of the Lord is a day of judgment. Scripture is very clear about that. The day of the Lord is a day of judgment. But let's talk about what that word judgment means. I don't think we actually hate the word judgment. In fact, I would say you can't hate the word judgment. You can't be human and hate the word judgment. What we hate is, judgment, is judgmental, being judgmental or judgmentalism. So being judgmental is an attitude. If I'm judgmental toward you, it's an attitude, it's a posture. And I might be judging you in that moment, but I'm judging you with a judgmental attitude or a judgmental posture. It's a posture of pride, of superiority, and certainly not a posture of love. But if we say we hate the word judgment, then that means we don't want clarity. And remember, we already talked about that's the thing we want so badly. We want to know what's real, what's true in every situation. When I walk into a room, you better bet I'm judging things. I'm trying to judge who am I, who are they, are we friends, like where do we stand? When, when you have a relationship that's, that's fractured with someone, that's broken, you're constantly kind of judging like, wait, where are they at? Where are we at, right? We judge all the time. We judge what's safe and what's not safe. We judge what's good and what's not good. We judge what will get me what I want and need and what won't. What's worth my time and what's a waste of time, right? We're, we're walking around judging all the time. My kids, I have to, it's, it's, it's incumbent on me as a, as a dad and a father to teach them how to judge rightly. But here's the problem. We're pretty bad at it. 
right? We're not good judges, naturally. We wanna be good, we can get better. There's some areas we're better at judging than others, right? We have areas of expertise, areas of insight, but as a whole, our judger is broken. We're pretty bad. And that's what leads to so much judgmentalism or judgmentalness. Because I judge with this in, in view, don't I? This creates things like selfishness. And can you judge very well when you're being selfish? This creates things like greed, envy, anger. Do I judge well when I have those things? No. It clouds my judgment. In other words, the darkness clouds my judgment. And so we need something else. We need something else to come in to do the ultimate judging for us. And that is the, 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 um, the point of the day of the Lord, is that this is the day when all will be clear. All shadows will be gone. All darkness will be gone. There's no hiding. There's no twisting of truth. There's no masquerading of lies as truth. There's just the truth. And the light is what brings out the truth. The light is what reveals what is true. Remember, he will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. So at the day of the Lord, Jesus himself is going to come as the judge and he will make all things clear. He will shine light on all darkness. There won't be any ambiguity or confusion. And this is why there are two such extreme different experiences of the day of the Lord in this passage. Did you pick up on it? There's very different experiences. Paul says, you will not all experience the day of the Lord the same way. Those that are in darkness, those that do not have the Lord, those that, that don't have the light of Christ in them are gonna be surprised like a thief in the night. So if you grew up hearing, the day of the Lord's gonna come like a thief in the night, which is what I always heard. It always kind of sounded the same as like when your parents put you to bed on Christmas Eve and they say, watch out, like Santa's looking if you're not asleep, right? It's kind of like the opposite of that somehow, that you gotta kind of watch out because the day of the Lord, it's gonna just happen. This actually says for Christians, that's not true. Christians, those who are in the light, those who have the light, who belong to the light, are not gonna experience the day of the Lord this way. It won't be a terrible surprise. They might not know exactly when it's gonna happen, but it'll actually be much more like a pregnant woman when the pregnant woman does go into labor, right? When my wife finally went into labor, she wasn't surprised. She wasn't shocked. Did she know exactly when it was gonna happen? No, but she knew it was coming. That's actually much more of the picture that, that believers are pregnant, in a sense, with the day of the Lord. We're ready for it. We got the light in us, and when it comes, we'll know it's coming. So that is the clarity that Paul is trying to bring to the day of the Lord. And it's the clarity that Paul says Jesus is bringing when he comes as the light. When he comes into your life, things begin to be made clear. But there's something that he needs to correct for us. And so this is that second part. There's correction in this passage. It's not correction in the way that we use it like, oh, you're wrong, let me correct you. It's a little bit more correction like, can I, can I show you this truth? Can I open your eyes a little bit more to this truth and then that is gonna correct so many things in your life. So what is it? What is this truth that Paul wants to open their eyes to that's gonna correct so many things in their life? It's the reality of what this really means for this Christian church. So let me add a little bit to this, to this timeline. When, when Jesus came, 
And this is something that Paul teaches. It's, it's embedded in this passage, but it's more explicitly taught um, elsewhere in the scriptures. When Jesus came, he did something. He said something when he was on earth. He says, the kingdom of God is here. In Matthew, he actually says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does it mean that the kingdom of God is here and the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Because I thought heaven was after this point. I thought heaven is something that came at the end, right? Where we like fly away to. Well, yes, new heavens and new earth are coming after the day of the Lord. But what Jesus did in the cross is he did something different. Jesus in the cross took from the new heavens and the new earth, he took new creation, because remember, he is the creator. Jesus is the one who it says, it was by him that all things were created. There was nothing in him that, wasn't, that hasn't been made that was made. He brings this new heavens and new earth reality here. That is what the kingdom of God being here and the kingdom of God being at hand means that the light, the light of heaven and earth, when he came, he actually brought a whole new plane of reality where we are somehow, in some ways, living with new heavens and new creation here and now. The Bible teaches that. The Bible teaches that we are now living in this space between. We're, be, we're between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. And while we await the day of the Lord, we have light. We have clarity. We have understanding. We have the Holy Spirit that brings to us the, the in infiniteness of all the knowledge and wisdom of God to us here and now. But it's not finished. It's like a seed that's begun to sprout, right? It's like a small tree that's, that's flowering because we live with the new creation and the old creation together at the same time. And so we sort of live in this shadow, so I call this the gap. I, I want to talk to you guys about the gap because you, every single one of you lives in the gap. You do. You, you can't help it. You can't exist outside the gap. The only time you'll be outside the gap is after the day of the Lord when it's all going to be new. It's all going to be clear. But now we live in the gap between the old creation and the new creation. Jesus has brought this new creation into the old creation now. And so we live in a tension between the two. Like imagine you're standing there in this gap and you've got all the brokenness from the fall, all the brokenness of the old creation, and yet you've got the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Both are true. You've got the light that is Jesus in you, the hope of glory, and you're holding on to darkness because you have sin. You're not finished. It's still happening. And we're like stretched between the gap. What it means to be a Christ follower, what it means to be a maturing follower of, of Jesus, a disciple, is to live in that gap well. And that's the, that's the, the gentle correction, the kind of like open your eyes to see this that I think Paul is giving us. And look what he says. He says two things. He says, be awake and be sober. Verse six, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. Verse eight, but since we belong to the day, you hear this? Since we belong to the day, since we're part of the new creation, be awake, be sober. This is really hard. <laughs> I just want to pause a second and acknowledge how hard this is. 
that if this sounds good and sounds exciting, it is. But it also accounts for why it's so hard to be a follower of Jesus. It's what actually, and this is again, it's like no other faith gives you the complicated truth, the complicated reality of this like Christianity does. Because what it does is that one and the same time it accounts for the hope that you have, the hope of salvation, and it accounts for the kind of stuff that we're living in right now. Y'all, what happened in Atlanta uh, has just wrecked me. Even in like a weird new way, and not because it's so different, it's just more of the same, but don't you feel the weight, the, the, the added weight of this brokenness that we're dealing with? Where on all sides, I mean like look at the issue from all kinds of angles, it's just busted in all ways. It's horrific and it's, it's incomprehensible, or it should be. The amount of, to which it's not incomprehensible is just the numbness that comes over me. Because truly, it's, it, it shouldn't make sense. It's broken. It's old creation. It's the fall. And so as Christians, we live between the two things and we have hope for salvation. We feel the light of Jesus. We, we have revealed to us what is truth and at the same time, we have to live in this world and experience the suffering that comes with it. Uh, DeCarlos and I serve in the Napier community. Napier is historic South Nashville, um, just down the street from Trevecca University. It's... Uh, probably now after, after several have been torn down, it's probably one of the largest housing projects in Nashville, uh, government subsidized housing. Y'all, uh, nowhere that I've ever been um, depicts the, the stark contrast of the gap uh, than, than Napier does. The gap between the beautiful and the broken. Uh, the things that should be Uh, the things that you see in part, and the things that are not yet. This community highlights the starkness of the gap in ways that I've never seen. There is so much beauty and so much redemption. There is incredible acts of love and faith, of strength and grit, all in the face of unbelievable tragedy and brokenness. And it has, it has really been an experience for me, for DeCarlos, of, of living in that gap, saying, no, we are called to be ministers of the gospel. We have the light of Jesus. And other folks in this community have the light of Jesus. And how are we together gonna take the light of Jesus to people that are in darkness? And you better believe that involves living between two things. Living both with one foot in the old creation and another foot in the new creation. And Paul is looking at us, he's looking at this church and he's saying, armor up, get ready, gear up, right? Stay awake, be sober. Two things my wife, you know, just to keep plugging the the pregnancy analogy, two things my wife definitely is when she's pregnant, awake and sober. Okay, be ready, be awake. Don't do the things that numb the pain, that pull you back into darkness that are not gonna make you awake and sober. I don't know what that is for you. I know you have them. I know I have them. What are the things you run to? What's the, what's the little tastes of darkness you love to run back to? Because it just takes that edge off. Paul's saying, it's not gonna give you what you want. It won't make it better. All it's doing is clouding the light that you have. So how do we be people who see the darkness as dark as it is and see the light as, as bright as it is? That's what he's saying. And so, what does he do? What does he give us to do that? He says, armor up, gear up with these three things that we've seen already in 1 Thessalonians. Faith, hope, and love. 
What is faith? Faith, the assurance of what is hoped for. The assurance that this is going to happen. Really, the assurance that this is going to happen. That new heavens and new earth are coming. That I see that I, I have faith, which is a belief not grounded in, in like, you know, science necessarily. It's something that I know in the deepest part of me is going to come true. And I have hope. I have hope for that. The hope that, that reaches out into the future of that thing and pulls it into the present and allows me to live with it in the here and now. Armor up, he says, with faith and hope and love. Love is what has been done to me and so now it's the power that I use to live with others. Love is the weapon that I get to have in this world as I stand in the gap. So I carry these things, faith, I carry hope, I carry love, I armor up, I gear up with them, and I'm ready. So Paul is correcting us. He's correcting us to get on the right track so that we know how to live in this gap. And finally, what I think that gives us, what I think this passage is so beautiful to give us is courage. That when we, are, when we are geared up and armored up with faith and hope and love and we're awake and we're sober, as much as it hurts because it forces you to be sober in the face of suffering, we get verse 9, verse 10, verse 11. Verse 9, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The thing that allows us to keep living in this gap is knowing that for, the day of, for us in the day of the Lord, this is not a day of wrath. It's a day of judgment. It's a day of separating what's true from what's not true. It's a day of separating what's evil from what's good. But if you are in Christ, the day of the Lord is not a day of wrath. It's a day of salvation. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, not built on your merit, not because you just happen to do good enough in this in-between time, that's the easy way to think about it, right? That's kind of like the, the easy way. It's like, well, if I just, I got to earn it, so I'm going to work really hard during this time. And this says, no. It says, you have received salvation through the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so now all of our holiness, all of our hard striving to be obedient and live according to the law of the Lord is the way that we go through this gap with faith, with hope, with love. Verse 10 says, he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Y'all, what that means is you can't lose. You want to know, is it all going to be okay? That's, if that's the question, the answer is you can't lose. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. It's what it, it's what it means. Whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. So, um, to close, uh, we have this beautiful uh, last couple verses, um, verses 23 and 24 of chapter 5, that that we're including in this passage. Um, I would really encourage you, before I even talk about it, just commit this week to spending some time in these things. With whatever else you're you're studying, if, if you're not reading the Word regularly, Okay, great, here's a place to start. Two verses. Let me tell you a few things that this verse, these verses say that are, um, they're like the, the uh, they're the negators uh, for any question or any doubt you have in walking through this. I'm not gonna say you're not gonna have doubt. What I'm saying is this gives you truth that negates any doubt you might have in walking and living in the gap. Verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. 
He is sanctifying you through and through. The ESV, that transition says, sanctify you completely. It's this picture of like through and through, like you're being, you're, it's like from the inside out, you're soaking in it. He's sanctifying you. He's, he's changing these parts of you that as you go through this gap, you are becoming more and more new creation and less and less old creation. May he sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's not a part of you that isn't, that isn't part of this process. There's not a part of you that's not being sanctified through and through. Your whole spirit, soul, and body is being kept blameless. You are not acting blameless. You are not being blameless. You are being kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. ESV says he will surely do it. It's his faithfulness that keeps you in the gap. It's his faithfulness that's renewing you day by day more and more into the image of his son. It's his faithfulness that's growing in you holiness, the fruits of the spirit, justice, a love for your neighbor. And it's his faithfulness that will surely do it all the way till the day of the Lord. Praise be to God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, um, we just uh, rest um, in your arms. Uh, we rest in your finished work, Jesus Christ. Um, everything we have just talked about is true because of the cross. Um, the, the, uh, the blood of Jesus made it possible, it made a way for us to be walking into this life um, whereas before we had no hope. Um, the, the, the light of Jesus. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Your light has brought us life. New life. New creation. And so, Father, as we move forward this week, I pray for my friends here. I pray for um, those watching from home. Um, would you continue to sanctify us through and through? Would you keep us blameless? Would you birth in this community a, uh, a, um, a desire for holiness, a desire to live as becomes followers of Christ? Birth that in us, Lord. Would that be something that grows so strong in our community that the city of Nashville is different because of Midtown Fellowship? Because of the folks that have said, you know what, I'm, I'm not stepping out of the light and I'm not stepping out of the darkness. I'm standing in both because that's what's true right now. But I have Jesus with me and so I'm awake, I'm sober, I'm pregnant with this hope for new heaven and new earth. And Father, would that make uh, a dramatic impact on our city and all our congregations, uh, all our communities. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.